listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome to Tuesday Night Gathering again. Uh, some of you the first time, some of you lots of times, even more than me, because as I'm newer, uh, we are in our second week of our apologetic series, which should be, is it behind me? Should I look? One, two, three, bam, there it is. What is truth? The, the song of the skeptic. Why am I calling it this? Why is it the song of the skeptic? And here's the reason why. Um, I am under no uh, misleading or I, don't, I have no misinformation telling me um, that especially in, in college and really any time in your life, it's going to be easy um, to maybe doubt some things about your faith. Uh, I'm also aware that uh, there could be someone in this room maybe who was just wanting to check things out. You, you may not even be sure that you believe in God at all or all the claims of the Bible or don't claim to be Christian. You may consider yourself an atheist. You may consider yourself an agnostic, sort of maybe like not really sure if there, we can really know if there's a God. And if, if we can, I'm sure not gonna say that Jesus is the only way. Um, I, I don't know where you are on that spectrum of faith but what we're doing in this series is I want to actually, it sounds weird, invite your skepticism from wherever you are because the worst thing that could happen is for you as a Christian or you, if you're in this room as a non-Christian, to think that our faith is kind of this white-knuckled, close your eyes, well, I, I guess it just, I guess I just believe it. I guess I just make this leap of faith that's not founded on any sort of, you know, foundation of, of logic and, and reason and using rational conclusions when we look at the universe around us and we look at the cohesiveness of, of, of the Bible. I, I can keep going, but I, I don't want you to have a faith or even if you're from the outside tonight to look at Christianity and think that's what it comes down to. We're just taking this massive leap of faith. And so what I want us to do, what we started last week and we're going to continue to do this week is we're examining some our faith through the lens of questions that skeptics ask. And honestly, probably questions that you should all ask at one point. In lieu of that, I was thinking about, um, I, I think we're all on the same page, just by raise of hands. Does anyone, everyone know the concept of cancel culture? Yeah, you kind of know that. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm talking about maybe more the, the funny side first. And so here's, here's what kind of happens. Here's our, here's our tendency. Um, Oh, well, that's, that's a good example. Um, I think I see it when, sometimes. I see it when there's a really bad breakup, right? Like I've been in youth ministry before this, student college ministry. What happens like a, a breakup goes bad and, and sort of what happens is that uh, the guy kind of has those that's on his side and the girl kind of has those that's on his, uh, on her, not his, not her side. And um, sort of what happens is that this narrative begins to play out right about like, oh, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he ended it that way. Like he must be a terrible person. Like he, he did a few things wrong, but like literally his whole essence, like canceled, right? Get rid of him. He's gone. And, and then there's the same thing with, uh, uh, with those who are on the guy's side saying about the girl, like, oh, I can't believe she did that. Maybe, maybe he was, maybe he cheated, she cheated or whatever. And you kind of take sides, right? You, Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You, you kind of each have your ideas about whose fault it was and whatever, but especially those in the relationship, those that, those that were hurt, maybe they did something or misunderstood something about the other. Like, they're like, 
I don't care if it was just one thing. I, I don't like you as an entire person. I never want to see you again. Like, get as far away from me as you possibly can, right? Like, we see this, and it's a tragedy, all right? That is kind of a serious, but like funny version, kind of petty version of cancel culture, right? We also see this with celebrities and politicians, and rightfully so, things have come out in the news, right? Like bad things that have, have happened, or, or maybe it's just something petty. Like who remembers when Kanye basically said like Beyonce should have won the award when Taylor Swift got the award? Y'all remember that? Like that created so much divisiveness, and like hopefully today, like it was wrong, but it's kind of funny to watch. Like, I mean, it was. It's just a good moment in our culture to look back and think, wow, that happened, you know? And so, but what could be easy, right, for Taylor Swift, it did kind of happen. Like, didn't she try to release her album close to Kanye's and like, just to kind of try to compete. So she had this idea, right, of she's going to cancel Kanye. Like, he did this one thing. Well, he, he, did, he did a lot of things, all right? But it's kind of one thing, and it's like, man, he did this. I'm done with him. Like, he must be the worst person in the world. I never want to see him. Like, I want to, if I could, I would just eliminate him from the face of the earth because I just don't know how in the world he could ever do that. It, it happens in church circles, too. We, like, with Church friends, brothers and sisters, maybe there's fights or quarrels. And very rightfully so, sometimes it's happened with pastors and, and leaders like me who have uh, made mistakes or said things that were unpopular. And there's been times for sure they, they should, well, let's say canceled, but they should be disciplined for some things that they've done. I think you know what I'm talking about. But what can be easy, even as Christians, all right, so we, we know that the, the, the basis that we have for forgiveness of each other is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even we can have that mentality. Someone does something that we don't quite understand or maybe they just did, they wronged us in some way. And what we do is instead of maybe thinking like, maybe it's not all bad, maybe there's just a few things, we totally like cancel it. I don't want anything to do with you, right? We ghost them in text, right? I was just a guy just tell me this week he got ghosted. I'm so sorry about that. Um, I'm not gonna say who. Um, anyway, there's, I, I want you to, um, this guy's supposed to be funny, but also serious. I, I want you to examine something like uh, about our culture. And it's like, what we're moving towards is if, if there's anything that we slightly disagree with or challenges our, our presuppositions, like presupposition is something that you're presupposing about whatever topic it is. Thoughts you have before that weren't necessarily based on fact or reason. It's just things that maybe you were told. Does that make sense? And so if anything infringes upon what our personal beliefs are or our opinions, we're, we're kind of moving in a direction as a culture. I even see this in the church when we disagree, where we, we polarize each other. We don't want anything to do with each other. We kind of cancel each other out. We say, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. Why did I mention that? I'm afraid that this has been happening a long time. I've honestly wondered if you, and I know for sure a lot of people, what they've done is they've canceled God. They've canceled the idea of God because there's things about God, there's things about the Bible that infringe just a little bit upon their presuppositions that they have, um, that infringe just a little bit upon their all infinite wisdom and how they think the world should run. Um, compared to the actual all-knowing, all-powerful God. And so for various reasons, but mainly the question we're talking about tonight, um, they, 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 they cancel God. Say, I, I, I don't want anything to do with a God like that. 
So we experience hurt from other people. We see this in our culture. They did this one thing or several things. I'm totally done. I'm rid of them. I'm gonna rid myself of them. And with God, I think what happens is we, when we ponder the question of how could a good God allow suffering, it's very tempting for suffering to be the reason we just say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Is that fair? Y'all tracking with me? See where I'm going? And so, can I just get a nod? Do y'all think it's fair that in some time in your life you should ask the question, how could a good God allow suffering? Yeah? Okay. And so let me give you some more reasons. So I, I think this is a good question because it's, it's probably one of the greatest questions that could ever be asked just because there's so much literature written on it. It's a very difficult question to ask. I think it's one of the most realistic questions we could ever ask. Why do I say that? Because everyone suffers, right? To some extent, all right? Like, it, it varies, all right? Some of our parents only, only give us like $500 a month allowance and, and some of our parents don't give us anything and we're paying for everything on our own. You know what I mean? So like, it's like, we all have our first world problems, all right? We all have things that we call suffering. Uh, but there are people that have gotten, gotten sick and, and die. There are people in our families and in our lives right now who are sick right now. Maybe some people have COVID, all right? Perfect is an example right now, all right? COVID, man, okay. We're all, we all experience suffering to a certain extent. And I think it's also such a compelling question because I believe, even if they deny it, that this question is looming in the minds of every single person before they decide to leave the faith. My approach last week and this week is that we're going to utilize scripture because as Christians, right, I'm I'm speaking to the skeptic, but I'm unapologetically Christian, okay? Apologetics, unapologetically Christian. You tracking with me? That was a play on words, okay. Anyway, um, I'm using scripture because as a Christian, I believe this is our highest source of truth. And so, and that God is the greatest thing, the greatest person we could ever talk about. So I'm not gonna use a lesser source primarily to talk about the greatest being in the universe. Does that make sense? And so as you're reading, if you're not familiar with scripture, even if you never read these verses, even if you have no idea where to find the books that I mentioned, just listen and read, or listen along, I should say. How could God allow suffering? I'm going to address that question first by mainly talking to Christians, but if you're not there, if you're not a Christian, don't tune out. Turn to James chapter one, verses two through four with me. How could a good God allow suffering? That's the, the question on the table. Do what? Someone said something. Okay, James chapter one, verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers or sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How could a good God allow suffering? Well, for Christians, for Christians, God allows suffering to produce in us a steadfast and mature faith. Okay, so to summarize what two through four is saying, one, problem number one, count it joy. Like, to meet trials of various kinds? Can I tell you a few things that bring me joy? Taco Villa burritos, right? 
Yeah, it's mainly a long list of food, okay? But also, disc golf brings me joy. Being with my family brings me joy. Not to be in college taking classes and exams anymore brings me joy. Sorry, guys. Sorry, I love you. I love you, all right? But suffering, like exams, (laughs) doesn't usually bring me joy. So why would James say that? Like, is he... Anyway, the answer is, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so it seems that James is telling us, hey, if you don't suffer, you're never gonna have an opportunity to gain endurance. And if you don't gain endurance, in the Christian life, you're just gonna always be this like weakling of a Christian that encounters just this lightest bit of suffering and you're always complaining and you're always crying about it and every, everything that you go through is just gonna be a long life of pointless suffering. He says, no, leverage your suffering and count it joy so that you'll actually grow in maturity in Christ, grow in steadfastness. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the, the exercise concept of, of no pain and no gain. You're going to have to go through something hard and difficult to grow, to be better. I am, um, I'm sure many of you kind of relate to this. Um, <laughs> have y'all ever been around someone who's like way more physically fit than you are? Like, way more physically fit than you are, okay? Like, um, here's the, a lot of you guys say I always make CrossFit references, so here, here it is, okay? The first, the first couple of weeks that I was there, I had such high thoughts of myself. I was like, okay, those skinny guys, they're faster than me. They can run. They can do all the pull-ups. Okay, good job. Do pull-ups. Real cool, you know what I mean? But I can lift more weight than you, I bet. And then when I realized I couldn't even lift more weight, you know what I mean? And so it was just terrible. Like I, I've told you all this before. There was a girl next to me lifting more weight than I was, who was like 80 pounds lighter than me. I was, like, I was hurting. This was, this was terrible. Okay, girls, I'm not saying you're not strong, but I'm like 5'8", 220. All right, I should have been able to lift more than her, okay? And here's the worst thing that happened. Like <laughs> I, I show up to one of our classes one day, um, and there was this kind of bigger, like really like, I'm talking, this guy was country. You know what I mean? Like, he was country. Like, he had, like, not like the, the cutoff tees that you buy, but the ones you just, you know, rip. He came in, and he was, he looked like he was kind of out of shape. You know what I mean? And I was like, I'm going to beat this guy so bad. It's going to be awesome. You know what I mean? This dude, he beat me in everything. He lifted more weight than me. He jumped higher than I did on the boxes. He did a higher box. He did it faster than me. He did every single thing. And I was, at the end of that, I was like, I, I suck. I give up. I'm, I'm just going to go back to a treadmill three times a week, you know, eat my Taco Villa. I'll just be fat. All right, I give up. All right. Here, here's what happened. Here's what the, and actually, I'm really good friends with that guy. Um, he would laugh at I described him in that way. Um, he's been doing it for a long time. He's built up endurance. He's been through those painful, like painstaking workouts for a long time. He doesn't look like it, but he has, all right? Isn't that so true? Don't we judge like Christians, outward appearance, and we find out, holy crud, like you pray and have a quiet time an hour a day every day? Like you've been through this and you're, you have joy? You see where I'm going with that? 
And so what, what, what I learned, I think, through that, and I think how that applies to the Christian life, is that enduring through suffering is actually one of the ways that we mature. <laughs> and here's the, a common objection to this. Um, some people say, like, hey, that, that doesn't sound like a, a loving way, right, <laughs> for God to mature us. That's fair, right? Like, is he just up there like, <laughs> what's this? Yeah, let's see if they mature or not. <laughs> It's up to them. It's either a waste or not. I think that's a bad picture. Um, is it fair that God does that? Um, I, I remember um, going to Belton, Texas. Anyone know where Belton, Texas is? Yeah, growing up. Uh, it's kind of outside of Austin. It's where my uh, grandpa on my dad's side lived. And uh, I think my dad, because he knew all the routes, you, you kind of know where I'm going here, I think, because he knew all the routes to get there, he wouldn't take the fastest route. You know what I mean? Like he wanted to take the, the slow route, all right? And bear in mind, like we never had like the greatest, nicest car. So like not very comfortable either, all right? So like instead of taking the interstate and highways as much as he could, he was taking these farmer's market roads. It was a long, miserable drive. Y'all taking those family road trips, you know what I mean? Anyone ever driven to Disney? Like who thought of that? I hope you had a great time. But like, oh, that sounds awful. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you take this long road, but you know what it makes you do? Does it not... Does that make you slow down a little bit? Does that that make you grow in patience just a little bit to to maybe take a slower, longer route? I I think in in terms of suffering, I think what, how God kind of sees it is suffering is God's chosen vehicle that takes us on the path to sanctification, to maturity, to steadfastness, all right? God kind of knows that suffering, what, one, of the, one of the things that it does is it makes us slow down. It makes us be patient. Many of you, your suffering is just having to wait. We, we just finished a, a, a series on, on singleness and dating, like waiting, like, guys, where is this woman? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm praying, guy, uh, girls, where is this guy? Right, like you're waiting. A lot of that, for a lot of you, that's your thing. And if you think you're called to, to singleness, you're like, how long? And man, does that seem like a long life? But what it does is in that waiting and that little bit of suffering and, and um, yeah, it, it, it forces you in, into Jesus. That's why we say we find our greatest pleasure and purpose in him. Those things kind of force you to realize where do I derive my joy from? So count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds because guess what? It's gonna be an opportunity to find out who is your ultimate source of joy and it should be Jesus. It's what's funny. Um, here's, here's insert skeptics. God would never do that. A good God would, would never do that, what you're talking about. And they say, because of that, that he, he must not exist. There's no way the God of the Bible exists. So to track this argument, it's like I, I've explained, hey, resonating, think you're resonating, that's true. Yeah, I do have to kind of go through hard things to grow and mature. And they're saying, even, even still, God, he has the ability. He can intervene. He can, he can stop any form of suffering. And because he doesn't, in my omniscient, all-knowing mind, all-wise mind, I'm, I'm saying he, he can't exist. The, the good God of the Bible cannot exist. You know, as it would be really interesting to see a child who's, father disciplined them in a certain way um, that they did not like, um, told them to do something that they did not want to do. They take out the trash. 
And because they decided that they disagreed that taking out the trash was a good thing for them to do, they looked at their dad and say, you no longer exist to me. It might be a luxury. It may be nice if, if dad just poof was gone. But I think that you understand that it would be poor logic for a kid to decide, hey, because in all my knowledge as a child, uh, oh, father, who was probably at least 20 years older than me, hey, um, I don't like your ways of doing things. I don't like what you're telling me to do. And so because I don't like it, because I disagree with it, not only am I going to say no, but you don't exist at all. That's ridiculous, right? That reasoning is ridiculous. But it's the same reasoning to use to, to say, hey, just because, because they're suffering, there's no way that there's a God. There's, there's no way because they're suffering. Y'all track that? Because there's something that I don't have a box for that I don't, I don't think it should exist at all. No God. And I don't mean this in a mean way, but it's, 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 it's really a very childish impulse to, to make that conclusion. It's a very, very impulsive, not very logical, reasonable reaction. So here's how I would lovingly speak in, in, in love, right? Speak some sense into someone saying that. I would say... Here's what's interesting. Um, your disagreement with suffering is actually one of the greatest proofs that, that, that God's existence is possible. Y'all bear with me here. You see, when, when you feel this way, you're, you're proving that you have this great desire within you for no suffering. You're identifying, you have made an objective statement that suffering is bad, which means you put yourself in a box to where at least you have to admit that there is bad and good. You see where I'm tracking? You see where I'm going with this? And you show that God has ingrained within you a deep sense of what is bad and evil. And when you desire a world, this is so beautiful. Y'all use this. You can speak this to people. When, when people actually say that they want a, a world, they want a utopia without suffering and pain anymore. They just want God to take it away. What they want is heaven. You see that? The Bible in Revelation says there's no more there's no more pain, there's no more suffering anymore, there's no more sorrow, there's no more crying or tears. It begins to show that person your dissatisfaction with suffering, how it gives you sorrow. Hey, guess what? It does grant God a sorrow when he sees his people suffering. And what you want and desire is actually only gonna be found in the very God you're claiming doesn't exist because you can't imagine him existing in a world of suffering. Do y'all follow that? It's so beautiful. You can just gently, with love and just a little bit of thinking, help them see that. Maybe you're in this room, you're like, hmm, that's a good point. How could a good God allow suffering to produce a steadfast, mature faith in us as Christians? And I hope if you are from the seat of the skeptic tonight, that maybe you're intrigued a little bit. So I'm going to do. Put this over here for a minute. And by a minute, I mean the rest of the night. <laughs> um, whenever 
whenever I'm talking with people about um, these things, there's a certain path that the, the conversation seems to take. Um, and, and I want to talk about that night because I, I, I feel that maybe a lot of times what we're dealing with with you, with others who claim atheism, agnosticism, I don't, I just, I don't think we're dealing so much with intellectual problems. I, I think that a lot of us don't know how to have these conversations and a lot of people thus, because a lot of us are Christians in this room, if we don't know how to have these conversations, then a lot of lost people are not having conversations with us. You see that? You're tracking what, where I'm going with that? So if, if I were just sitting over, over coffee, you know, with someone, uh, which, which I've gotten to do before, and, and we, were, we were talking about this question, hopefully eventually they're, they're searching, or they're looking, or at least they want to, at, at bare minimum, they want to just take shots at Christianity and like just try to foil me, you know, like trick me, like, aha, I got you. Here's how I, I would normally respond. So they're, they're asking how could a good God allow suffering? I think I'm listening to them and I'm, and I'm realizing, I, man, just about every person that I've met that claims atheism or agnosticism, as you get to talking, they're not, that's not really what they believe. Just about every person, there's some deep hurt in their life. A pastor that did some things they shouldn't have done. Maybe they got away with it. They were a victim of that. Yeah, this happens. Y'all, y'all know. Y'all, y'all, have, y'all have access to social media. Um, not saying in a joking way, daddy issues. Um, Richard Dawkins, y'all know him, wrote God Delusion, famous atheist, brilliant man. Um, he talks about in his childhood how he, he grew up and um, was several in line of, of, of a victim of, in a, a Catholic school of a, some weird, sketchy behavior of, of, of one of the, the priests there. Um, deep-seated hurt and, and pain of which they projected onto, hmm, God can't exist. Y'all see that? You with me? Just a little nod. And so here, here's, here's your temptation, all right? For those of you that are kind of more on the intellectual realm and you, you struggle even having normal conversations like a normal person because you're so smart. All right, I don't relate to that, all right? Not, not there. Um, but like, here's, here's your temptation. You just want to win the argument. Like, oh, I've been, I listened to Ravi Zacharias, like rest in peace, like amazing man, amazing apologist. Uh, if y'all don't know who that is, and we'll talk about it later, okay? Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read Tim Keller's book. Oh, I got these arguments down. Like, I'm gonna slam them right now. Like, slam dunk. They're gonna walk away, like, like getting the atheist just slapped right out of them, right? That's how we think. But what I'm telling you, I want you to lean in almost every time. It's not that they don't believe in God. It's that they're angry with God. And they're so angry at him that if, if he can just not exist, maybe they, some of that anger will go away. Or 
They're so angry with him that they're hoping maybe their anger will, will make him not exist. And so with most people, when they're asking me this question, how could a good God allow suffering? I share the gospel with them. And I go back to, to Genesis chapter one, two, and three, and I show them that in the beginning, God created us in this perfect paradise. I mean, just perfect. No suffering, no sorrow, no pain. So, so oh yeah, that's what you want, a world without suffering and pain. That, that was Eden. That was what God originally created. And you know the story how God created the, the, the earth and, and, and us and everything in it. It was, it was beautiful. Created the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to live in and dwell. All these trees, all these amazing things. One tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Hey, don't, he said, don't, don't eat of that. What do they do? They eat of the one stinking tree. Like, how many trees do you think there were? Like, you want to say, like, at least a thousand? You think, is that fair? Like, five? Okay, Hunter said five. Even if there were five, right? Like, seriously, probably really fruitful trees, like, they weren't eating meat yet, so it's not like they had a craving for a burger. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like, I would, okay, yeah, modern day, like, mm, maybe so. Okay, anyway. Um, if their God was like, don't eat the burger, it's like, I, w- I would struggle there. Um, anyway. <laughs> and, and they messed it up. They were, they were given the ideal situation and position to not sin and not mess up. And what did they do? They did. Satan, through manifesting himself as a serpent, came, tempted Eve, kind of twisted some of God's words to confuse her. She ate of the fruit. Where was Adam when it happened? I don't know, man. Playing video games. I don't know what he's doing. All right. Shows up, and he's like, oh, okay, I'll eat it too, right? God comes walking in the garden. You'll know the rest of the story. God sees this. He's Sees, they sinned against him. The one thing he said to do, they, they, they did. They basically said, hey, we, we're God. We wanna be like God. Wasn't that the temptation of Satan? Say, he knows you're gonna, you're gonna be like him. Instead of worshiping him, they wanna be him. <laughs> they messed it up. And sin entered into the world. And, and with some of the things that it says that, that sin did in, in Genesis 3, they were actual physical, like, suffering consequences. Y'all know that? Not just a spiritual, like, um, separated from God and the sweet fellowship they have with him in the garden, but things like pain and childbearing. Like, it just, Caitlin just had a baby. Like, man, that would have been nice to not have to have gone through all that pain, right? Like, marital conflict. The ground is cursed and hard to tend. Like, Lubbock, Texas, example A, all right? Like, I've tried to grow green grass at my house. I can't do it. It's impossible. Thanks, Eve. Sorry, guys, I'm just kidding. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> I'm just joking, I'm just joking. All right. I would not joke like this with someone for, over coffee. Maybe, maybe so, we'll see. Let's see how it's going. This is work will be hard and burdensome. And we can conclude from the fall and a little help from Romans 8. Like Romans 8 says that all of creation was subjected to futility, the consequences of the fall. And so that's where we get things like even natural disasters, like even creation that God has created when sin entered into the world became corrupted. It affected everything. If one of your friends, as a joke, you know, sees your glass of water on the counter and just drops the tiniest drop possible of poison into it and says, Haha, you should drink it, you're going to be like, no, you're dumb. He's going to be like, why not? You're like, because just a little bit of poison is going to kill me, dummy. Right? Please tell me that that resonated with you. I hope you wouldn't drink the water. Sin is like that drop of poison in the glass, except the poison is sin and the glass is the world. 
one sin, one act of rebellion against God had consequences for all of the universe. Sin entered and, and tainted all of God's beautiful creation. And the objection to that, one of my friends may ask, this is as we're talking over coffee, you remember this? You're saying that the suffering of the world is actually our fault? Because of, like sin entering the, entering the world is our fault? And I would say, yes, absolutely. And, and you want God to eliminate all suffering in the world? But you know what? When you tell God to eliminate all suffering in the world, he has to eliminate you. Because, and, and us, don't just, uh, us too. Did you, you know that? But think about how much suffering you have just caused. A Christian, redeemed in Christ, think about how much suffering you have caused alone just with your sin. Think about how much suffering you've caused when you've gossiped about something. We've experienced the past two weeks. And that's just a small sin, Right? And so that's what's crazy. I would tell them, look, if you, you want God to, to take away suffering, he'd have to take away all of us. <laughs> well, why can't God just make us stop doing that, right? That's the next question. Why can't God just make us stop so all the suffering will end? And so I kind of asked, so you, you want God to have the God that doesn't exist. Um, you want God to have total control over you, like I almost swear you're like programmed robotically not to sin or, or do any bad or anything like that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, man, that's, that's not right. See, God, God loves us enough to say, I'm going to allow you to disobey me even though I knew before the foundation of the world, he's all-knowing how much damage it was gonna cause because I would rather you love me voluntarily. I would rather you love me because you see me as glorious and majestic than you say, I'm just gonna do it because God made me do it. That's love. It's like whenever I propose to Caitlin, do you, do you think that I, Caitlin's my wife, by the way. Um, whenever I propose to her, do, do you think that I was like, you know, on a knee, like, will you marry me? I didn't do it like that, by the way. That's kind of weird, but you get the picture. And then she's like thinking about it. I'm like, if you don't, I swear to God, I swear. Like, no, I didn't do that. Like, that would be weird. I didn't force her to love me. Even though you've seen her, it's like, nah, maybe you did. I don't know. There's something weird going on there, man. Like, <laughs> evidence for God right there. All right. And his grace. Um, and so that's kind of how God, and look, he knows. I, like, look at the Garden of Eden. Everything's set up perfect. Did you know what we choose every time? Unless God intervenes, we choose sin. It's our nature. <laughs> but he loves us enough to say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to make you obey me. I want you to do it out of love and worship for me. Y'all still with me? Thumbs up, you're with me? So what, where this conversation goes after that um, is, is maybe they're, they're kind of like, okay, I just, I see what you're saying. Like, maybe, maybe God is good. Maybe this is a possibility that, that even though I see suffering and it's bad, like, okay, that, that's some good points, but I just don't feel like I know the right question to ask. And then I'd be like, you're on to something. They, they kinda, they're kind of out of questions. See, the real question should be not why would a good God allow suffering? It's why would an all-powerful, holy, righteous, majestic, amazing, eternal God allow us to experience rebellious sinners anything but suffering? 
Do you ever think about that? But we get every morning, you get to see a sunrise. And this is West Texas, really flat, a sunset too. You see stars. You get to breathe in air. Like, he allows us to participate in, in almost all of his creation even though so many are actively shaking their fist and saying, you don't exist. <laughs> it's that point where are like, okay, that's a good point. But that, let's not let God off the hook. Because then they begin explaining things that I told you about. Things about their, their family members. Why did their grandmother um, die so so, so early, why, why when they were a child did their mother or father have this happen to them or they died early? How, how come they never even met dad? How come they never even met mom? How come all these bad things happened? How come uh, Christians get killed in, 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 in China, right? What? It's not gonna let God off the hook. And I would point them to the cross and I'd say the cross is God putting himself on the hook. It was the worst hook of suffering that we could have ever been given. He put himself on the hook for us in a tremendous act of love and grace. What he did through Jesus Christ is he sent Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice of suffering in our place. See, what you don't realize is not what makes the cross so bad is not just the, the physical aspects of it, which were pretty terrible, like awful of what a crucifixion was. But whenever he, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what happened there? So there's, there's a picture of the, the Trinity, at least the two persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and it, from eternity past, perfectly dwelling in perfect communion with one another. The, the type of mirror, the, what, the relationship that we have with God, they, they exemplify that perfectly. What happened on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that he truly was, for a moment in history, separated from God the Father, isolated. That was, that was the suffering. And that's what the state that all of us live in apart from Christ. And so what Jesus Christ did is he, he uh, succumbed to suffering. He lowered himself from his heavenly abode to the earth so that he might suffer the, the death that we deserve and experience the separation of God the Father that we deserve so that we may not have to. Amen? And I'm over coffee, I may not yell at that loud either. So how could a good God allow suffering? Here's the second ultimate answer. God allows suffering to push us into the cross of Christ. I'm gonna mess up some of this reference, but a beautiful picture of, of, of the gospel. I, I love some of the, the Hunger Games books and, and I've for sure watched all the movies, but in the, in the first one, what we see is we see Katniss, the older sister, looking at, at Primrose, at, at Prim. And, and what's happened is Prim has been called to go to the Hunger Games, which we, we know she would have died instantly. I mean, as soon as they started, she's just a small child, okay? Okay, that was funny. Y'all have a sick sense of humor, <laughs> all right? Supposed to be sad, all right? Dang, I'm logging that away. Like, I can think of some more jokes for these, this crowd. Um, <laughs> and so 
Prim owed a debt. She was in debt. They, her name was in the drawing so many times because of the debt she owed. And what Katniss did, she couldn't eliminate, she couldn't make the Hunger Games go away, but she could say, I'll stand in your place. I'll give my life for you. I'll pay the debt for you that actually I did not owe. See, Christ, in the way that, that Katniss didn't make the Hunger Games go away, Christ does not make human suffering go away. But he did take the ultimate burden of human suffering upon himself on the cross. Christ paid a debt he did not owe that we might go free. So next time you watch that movie, be like, dude, yes. So you're not going to offer, this is where it kind of goes from here, you're not gonna offer any more intellectual responses to, to why we suffer I would tell that person, I don't, I don't know what all you've been through. You've shared something with me. I, 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 can, I can cry with you. I've suffered too. I, I'll never be able to explain. I don't cry a lot on stage. Um, sorry. Get it together, Rhodes. Um, I'll never be able to explain um, why like my, my grandfather gave his whole life to, to the ministry, lived very poor. Like money was always a hard thing, made so many sacrifices. And at such an early age, before he, I mean, he was mid-60s, like died of Alzheimer's. It was, it was rough, you know, there at the end. I'll never be explained things like that. I'll never be able to perfectly explain people being wiped out by tsunamis and earthquakes. But what I do know is I, I, I've cried before, just like you have suffered. And, and when, I, when I cry, the cross is God's answer to my cry. The cross is God's answer to your cry. He says, yeah, I, I, I've cried too. And because of what he does, the, the worst cry that we could ever experience, crying out to God in separation from him in hell forever, we will not have to experience in Christ, amen? God allows suffering to produce in Christians a steadfast and mature faith and to point all of us to show us our need for a savior. But how can we trust that God actually cares about us in suffering? Is there a promise? The person may ask, how can I know? Does he promise that he cares about us? What do you think I'm gonna say? I don't know, no. Yes. God's promise in suffering. Romans chapter eight, verses 31 through 39. Y'all read this with me. Romans chapter eight, verses 31 through 39. Many of you know this. It says this, what, what then shall we say to, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But even in that, look what 37 would say. Even if you're being killed for your faith, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the promise. And so, friends, be amazed, like be perplexed, not at the question that a good God allows suffering, but that somehow the God of the universe has not only said that he loves you, but he promises to never let you be separated from him in Christ. And so if you're suffering, it can't separate you from God's love in Christ. If you're stressed, if your life is a mess, it can't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you're being persecuted, it can't separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. If you're poor, yes, I am, said all the college students in the room. It can't separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. If you're paralyzed with fear, anxiety, depression, mental illness, it cannot separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. If you're afraid of death, even death can't separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see any height, you see any depth, you see anything in all creation you can conjure up in your mind. You add up all of those things and realize this amazing and glorious reality. They cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I hope that truth makes you cry sometimes with joy. This is God. This is our creator. In good times, he's good. In bad times, he's good. The God who is good is the same God who loves you and promises to never leave you. Be amazed at that. Trust him, love him, and worship him. Let's pray. God, even when we don't see it, you are good. And we're so thankful that in Christ, he truly became forsaken that we may never have to experience that in Jesus. And so I'm praying, God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Christ, that you would draw them in your grace and mercy to yourself tonight. God, we're about to respond with the truth that you are so good. Simple words. Not just that you're okay, not just that you will do, but that in all of your ways, you're at the core of your essence. There's not any badness. There's not any sin tainting you, any mal motives that you are all good and that we can trust you. We're going to declare that now in response to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.